Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jagler. This I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The English millennium has been run only twice so far and has produced a surprise result on both occasions. The inaugural edition in 2019 saw Castel Vecchio storm home from last to beat Accession and Dawn Passage at odds of $21. He looked an emerging top liner and so it proved when he went on to win the Champagne Stakes, the Rosehill Guineas and run second in the Cox Plate. Last year, the rains came to Warwick Farm and the $2 million millennium had to be switched to the following Wednesday. After consultation with participants, the race was reduced in distance to 1,100 metres and on a heavy nine track, it was another surprise result. Prime star ridden by Tom Marquand for the Friedman Brothers was too strong for Bella Nipotina and Larimer Street at odds of $18. This time around, the important two-year-old race has been switched to Randwick, greatly enhancing the spectacle of a race which will become a carnival feature in the years ahead. The English Classic Sale commences at Riverside the following morning at 10, and you can bet many buyers will already have next year's millennium in their sights. The English Millennium, Saturday, February the 6th, one of many highlights of the Sydney Autumn Carnival. Veteran trainer Les Bridge has always been a cool customer, and that was never more evident than it was during the running of the Everest last October. With a frantic speed being set up front by Eduardo and Nature Strip, the bridge train classic legend was nine lengths off the lead approaching the home turn. But Les was sure of two things. He knew the leaders would have to come back, and he knew this grey gelding was capable of producing something special. He was right on both counts. Classic Legend's amazing win provided a massive thrill for the 83-year-old trainer. Admittedly, the Everest has only been run four times, but right now Les Bridge is the only trainer to have achieved the unique treble of a Melbourne Cup, a Golden Slipper and an Everest. And the benchmark is there for others to chase. He's rarely trained more than 18 horses at any stage of his career, but has developed the talents of some outstanding gallopers and he has a strike rate equal to that of any trainer in the country. No racing podcast would be complete without the presence of Les Bridge on the guest list and I'm delighted to talk to the most recent conqueror of Everest. Thanks for your time, Les. Lovely to catch up. Pleasure, John. Pleasure. With very few people at Randwick on Everest Day, you were able to find a TV monitor in the theatre of the horse, and is it true you actually watch the race alone? Yeah, that is true, John. Yeah, it was a lovely, quiet spot, and uh, had the big screen in the theatre of the horse, so I couldn't think of a better spot to watch the race. No, I think a member of the press actually got a picture of you standing there too. I saw it somewhere. Yeah, they did. Good picture too. <laughs> of course. You've never <laughs> taken a bad one. 
Lazzie was nine or ten lengths off the lead coming to the home turn. He had to be everything you thought he was. No, his best horse I've ever trained, John. Just unbelievable. Yeah, what a moment. Hard to describe him. Hard to describe him, yeah. Great athlete. Yeah, beautiful horse and uh, very lightly raced, actually. I thought he hadn't sort of any anywhere near his full potential that had been shown up to that stage. So mm-hmm. he went to Hong Kong and he had a bit of a rough trip there and I was really sorry to see how he ran up there. It was only because of the trip, but he'll get over that and he'll come back. Yeah, it was obvious, Leslie, he just wasn't right on the day. He had an off day. No, that's right. He'll come back. The story began when Carmel Size approached you to take a number of horses for the Hong Kong owner, Bon Ho, in 2018. You didn't jump at it. You thought about it for a while before making the commitment. Only a couple of days because uh, I've known Carmel since she was a little girl and I'm great mates with the family. And Neville's been a great mate of mine for years, right? <laughs> Do you remember the clash between Sadapa and Emancipation? So yeah. I've had a close association with the family for a long time, so it wasn't a hard decision to make. Yep. You didn't start Classique Legend as a two-year-old, and his first appearance was in a Hawkesbury Barrier trial in February of 2019, just on two years ago. He won the trial, and he made his debut in a three-year-old maiden on the Kenzo track about 12 days later, he won that easily, but a fortnight after that, Les, he won a benchmark 70 on the Kenzo by six lengths, and that really set the tongues wagging. Well, as I say, John, he's just an outstanding horse. Just, uh, yeah, you just don't get horses like that. He got beat his next start on a bob track, mm. and then I think he came out and he won the million-dollar Arrowfield Sprint on a dry track, so... Mm. He's just an outstanding horse. Mm. That defeat you're talking about was his third run. It was a listed race, so he jumped up in grade pretty quickly and he got no favours either. I know the track was against him, but uh, he was pushed three deep and he stayed there. Oh, well, he's a short price favourite and Kieran sort of didn't go to the fence because of the state of the track. It was a heavy 10 that day. Mm. And a couple of the other jockeys, you know, if you run an odds on chance, they kick up and make you do it as tough as they can, which is probably good tactics on their part. And mm-hmm. it was just a series of things that got, he got beaten a three-way photo finish. But yeah. I wasn't worried about that. No, of course not. No, I understand. Three weeks yeah. later, he won the Group 3, as you said, the Arrow Field. And the track was rain-affected that day, but nothing like it was at Rose Hill. You turned him out after the Arrow Field. Now, Les, next time back, he didn't win in four runs, but he did run second in the shorts, he ran third in the Premier, he was sixth in the Everest, and he wasn't beaten far, two and a half lengths behind Yes, 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 and then he ran tenth in the Golden Eagle. Was he just going off by the Golden Eagle? He should have nearly won the Everest. Mm. You'd have to see the head on. He just, no fault of Nash Ruella, he just... Couldn't get a run. Mm. And uh, the mistake was to back him up and run him in the 
1,500-metre race, the Golden Eagle. Mm. We set him for the Everest, and that was his grand final. And mm. you know, this big prize money does strange things to you in retrospect that we should never have run him in the 1,500. Yeah, so in hindsight... If you had it all over again, you wouldn't run him in the Golden Eagle. Nowhere in the world. Yeah. Well, you wanted to give him next to no racing before the the next Everest in 2020, but you did something, Les, that seemed unorthodox, but it was probably a master stroke. You got him back into work in the middle of last year. You gave him one barrier trial and one race start in the Bob Charlie. He won well. And then you turned him out again. You just didn't want him to stay out too long. Well, that was all through circumstance. The horse was supposed to go to Hong Kong. Mm. And he, he was in quarantine. It was in the middle of winter, cold weather. And one of the horses come up positive to that uh, virus they get in Brisbane. What do they call it? But from the bats. The Hendra. Go straight. Hendra virus. Yeah, one of the horses come up and they aborted the flight. Mm. So Carmel went and got him out of quarantine in the middle of winter mm. and brought him back to the stables and I had the choice of sort of going from one Everest to the other without a run mm. or bringing him in, giving him a light preparation just to put a little bit of bottom in him, put him back out and try to get him ready for the Everest. So we went that way and we brought him in. He only had six weeks' work and he won. He carried 60 on a bog track. Yeah. And won the Bob Charlie. Unbelievable. It was a great run. Well, then you turned him out again, and next time back, Les, he was a machine. He beat Eduardo and Bivouac in the shorts, and wasn't that a run? Yeah, that was probably, man, I don't think I've seen a better run than that. It was unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. He ran second to that mayor, Libertini. Yeah, well, that was McAvoy and myself. We both got sucked in there. Everyone said that Nature's Ship was due to put in one of his best runs, and he's almost unbeatable when he puts his best run in, and mm. we didn't want to get too far back, so we rode the horse up close, thinking that Nature's Ship was going to put in one of his great runs, which he didn't do, mm. but it brought us undone because we hit the front at the top of the straight, yeah. and Libertini run us down, but... That didn't worry me because I knew she couldn't beat him in the... Actually, that was the best thing that ever happened because we went right. back to riding him to his right pattern. Yes. Turned yeah. out terrific. Yeah, it was perfect, wasn't it? Well, then came yeah. the Everest and, Les, in every interview I heard with you in the week or ten days leading up to the Everest, you were confident. Yeah, I just thought he'd win him. Mm. It was almost surreal, I trained a lot of good horses and I've been under a lot of pressure in big races over the years, biggest races. But I was calm and mm. I don't think I've ever had that much confidence in an actual individual horse. Mm. I just I just couldn't see him getting beat. It sounds silly, but that's how I felt. No, 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 I understand. Standing out there in the theatre of the horse all alone and he charges away to win in incredible style... What did you say under your breath? Oh, I don't know. I was just calm. Uh, when you expect something, you don't sort of, mm. yeah, I, I just can't explain it. I just, you'd think under a race like the Everest, you'd be, mm. you know, feeling a bit of pressure. Mm. But for some reason, I just had a 
the ultimate confidence in the horse. Mm. Have you had much personal contact with Bon Ho? Does he come to Sydney often? No, he doesn't, but I have recently had a lot of contact with him. He's a really nice man. Mm. Yeah, my son and I get on really good with him. Mm. He's very, yeah, 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 he's good. Mm. You know, Bon Ho made it clear right from the start that if any of the horses he had in your stable showed exceptional ability, they would eventually go to Hong Kong. So he knew, knew for a long time you'd be losing Classic Legend. I did. Mm. He rang me a week before the race and he said to me, you do understand, Mr. Bridge, win, lose or draw, I'm taking the horse. I said, yeah, I understand that, mm. but you'll be taking a winner. <laughs> and, uh, Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So even though you were prepared for his departure, it couldn't have been easy when that float arrived two days after the Everest to take him to quarantine in Victoria. Did you go to the stable? No, I didn't actually. No, I didn't. Uh, mm. Any reason for that? Oh, not really. It was early. He left four o'clock in the morning and I thought he was leaving later. I got mixed up. I didn't really... Realise he was leaving so early. Mm. Your interest in racing began during your mid-teens when you spent a lot of time with the legendary broadcaster Ken Howard, who was very close to your parents, Les and Lena. It's not widely known that Ken Howard was your godfather. That's right. So you spent a lot of time with him uh, as a kid and Ken used to take you to the races with him in the car. Yes, he picked me up Saturday, and as you know, in those days, all the broadcasters were off the course, mm. and Ken had a little shed. It was either, you're going back 60 years now, it was either in Derby Munro's yard or next door over in Wansey Road, mm. and there was a shed there on top of a another shed, and Ken was... And he was actually half a mile from the winning post, but he was on, as a broadcaster, you understand, he was on the wrong side of the post, mm. and he had to pick the photo finishes two or three strides before they hit the line, because they, when they hit the line, their heads were actually obscured from him. Yeah. And he yeah. did that for years, and it was only in later years that he might have got one wrong, but he did it for years, and he'd say, London to a brick. It yeah. was just unbelievable. They were just specs to me, the horses. I can still remember it. Mm-mm. It was amazing. And he got the amazing nickname, man. didn't he? He got that nickname, Magic Eye. You can see Keen Eye was his. Keen Eye. Mm. Leslie used very powerful binoculars too. Um, they were the Zeiss brand. Uh, 50, yeah, big Zeiss. Yeah, big fif- Zeiss glasses. 15 by 50. Uh, And then when he got access to the course uh, in the mid-1950s, he dispensed with them for a few years, but very late in his career, he started to use them again. And I had a peek through them one day in the box at Randwick, and I'm not kidding, they made me giddy. Yeah, and I don't think they did his eyes any good in the long run, actually. Mm. I think he had a bit of eye trouble towards the finish. Mm. Ken was married to the former Irish cook, who was a sister to the astute Randwick trainer Clyde Cook. And later on, you became apprentice to Clyde. 
down. Yeah, they used to call her Dickie. Iris was Dickie. Yeah, it was my boss's sister. Mm. Yeah, I never heard Ken call her Iris ever. It was always Dickie. Hey, always, Dickie, what are you doing? Yeah, always Dickie. Yeah, always called her Dickie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the last time I asked you to elaborate on your writing career, you told me that you had no idea how many winners you'd ridden, but you do recall still having your claim when you came out of your time. Or part of your time. Uh, I was always more interested in being a trainer than a jockey. And mm. I can tell you this, as a jockey, I wouldn't be putting myself on as a trainer, I can tell you that. <laughs> You're very humble, Leslie. I seem to recall you winning some races on a pretty smart mare called Vixenelle. Do you remember her? Yeah, I do. Who trained her? She was trained by Ted Hush. Mm. One of the greats of his era. Mm, two Melbourne Cups with Russia. Yeah. I you come got... up in a great era. I rode work for some of the great trainers. Mm. Who were yeah. some of the others? Oh, well, there was Stan Lamond, mm. was a great trainer, mm. you know, Bill Kelso, you know. And probably... Yes, Judd, I had work for in Melbourne, and Basil Conigan and yeah. a lot of great trainers, Peter Lawson, yeah, good mm. trainers. You got to ride two notable horses of your era, and one of them was Prince Darius. He, he ran second to Tullock umpteen times. Les, in any other era, Prince Darius would have been a superstar. Yeah, he kept running second to Tullock all the time. Yeah. You had one ride on Prince Darius late in his career in a very unsuitable race, and, of course, he was never sighted, but it must have been a hell of a thrill for, for a young jockey to sit on his back in an actual race. Well, I'd, John, I'd ridden him work all the way through. Mm. And, uh, you know, I knew the horse backwards. So, yeah, it was a thrill. We had Prince Darius and Persian Lyric, the two full brothers. So, mm. yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was a great time for our stable. And you think Persian Lyric was better? I do. Mm. I do. You had one ride on a horse called Gregory John, who uh, joined a handful of horses to win two races in one day on a Sydney track. Did you ride him before or after uh, his... No, I think it was after. Johnny Donahue trained him. Mm-hmm. Old John Donahue. Yeah, he won two races at Ramwick on the one day. You don't see that now. No. Mm. no. I've forgotten about that one. Yeah, Les, trainers wouldn't be game to even suggest it. With all of the video replays... Uh, and the exposure now of, of races everywhere, um, you know, if he happened to go badly in the second one, uh, the replay would be shown over and over again. Trainers won't stick their chin out. Well, you got going pretty quickly as a trainer, especially with staying horses. I think you had some owners at the time who liked to go to New Zealand and purchase going horses. You did very well with them but you were worried that owners of two-year-olds might bypass you. At the time, it concerned you a bit. Yeah, uh, well, when I started training, I had a lot of success with two-year-olds originally. I had April Wonder, one of Widden Stakes and Pommy Girl and mm. all those Newtown Wonder fillies. Mm. But as I went along, 
you know, I didn't have the clients to buy the deer horses, so I used to go to New Zealand and buy cheap stayers. Mm. But right from the start, I just trained winner after winner, and I just kept the same process that I'd been taught. Yeah. Like Clyde Cook and the good trainers I'd ridden for, and it was a bit monkey see, monkey do. I just mm. trained horses the way I was taught, and they just kept winning. Yeah, you had a wonderful trot early in the piece. You won some races in the 1970s with a horse called Future Shock for Peter Horwitz. And it was Peter who presented you with a lovely vain cult to train in 1981. And that cult, Les, took you to another level. Sir Dapper won his first four straight. He was then very unlucky in the Todman Slipper trial when he was second. And then came the 1983 Golden Slipper. That was your first group one, wasn't it? Yeah, John, I trained for about 16 years. I had a lot of good horses, but I couldn't get a champion. Mm. Just couldn't do it. And uh, I was great friends with Jimmy Maloney. He stayed with me when he won the Golden Slipper with Vane. Mm. So I went up the stairs and bought a Vane colt. It mm. turned out to be Sadapa. So yeah. yeah. I can thank Jim a lot for that. And he won the Golden Slipper. Mm. He got back uh, probably further than you, than you expected in the slipper, didn't he? Did, did you want him quite that far back? Oh, I didn't care where he was. He was a bit like the seat legend. I just had complete faith in the horse. Yeah. He was, he was a freakish horse. Mm. He had a if wonderful... I had him now, if I had him now, he'd be twice as good. Oh, yeah. Les, he, I... he never got a spell and... Yeah. Mm. I had him now and trained the way I do today. And anyway, he only raced from the time he had his first run till he retired was seventeen months. Mm. And what he crammed into that seventeen months was unbelievable, mm, wasn't it? Yeah, his spring three-year-old season was tremendous. He won the San Domenico, the Up and Coming, the Peter Pan, the Gloaming, and the Spring Champion Stakes. Were you confident he'd run two thousand metres in the Spring Champion? I thought he'd go for a brick wall, to be truthful. <laughs> and after all that, Peter Horwitz said the best race for three-year-olds was the Caulfield Guineas. Mm. So I took him down there yep. after all that. Mm. And that was the last meeting before they remodeled Caulfield, and the undulation wasn't right, and he got beat half ahead in the Caulfield Guineas. Mm, by a horse called uh, Beechcraft. Yeah. Yeah. About two or three months later, he met it again, and he beat it ten lengths. Mm. Well, he was going so well at that time that you decided to have a crack at the Cox Plate with only 48.5 kilos. He ran fifth, about six lengths from the winner, and the winner, Les, was Strawberry Road, who absolutely spaced him. I was on a bog track, mate. Yeah. As I say, if I was training, I wouldn't have run him. Yeah. He was a great mud runner, wasn't he, Strawberry Road? Best wet tracker I've ever seen. Won the derby by 10 lengths from the wet track. Mm. Well, Sir Dapper, at his next preparation, won the Expressway, he won the Hobartville, he won the Canterbury Stakes, and then Peter Horwitz accepted an offer from Mike Willisey to stand Sir Dapper at his Transmedia Park stud after only 18 starts, as you said. He won 13 of them. Now, business is business, Les, I understand that. But what a pity he didn't race for another year. Wouldn't he have been a super four-year-old? Well, that's probably one of the 
things that's wrong with racing today, John, and that's no reflection on the owners. Mm. Now, if you can get $20 million or $4 million for a horse, you're going to take it. But unfortunately, too many great horses are retired to stud too early. Mm. It's just an economic reality. Mm. And Sir Dapper was certainly one of them. Yeah, can't blame Peter for taking the money. You got back to training stayers when a horse called Kenzai came into the stable. Now, he was by Blarney Kiss. He'd been purchased by Harry Lawton Bloodstock as a yearling, syndicated to six owners. And, mate, he was absolutely flying when the 1987 Melbourne Cup rolled around. He had only 51.5 and he dropped 3.5 kilos on the weight he carried when second to Balciano in the Metropolitan. You ran him in the McKinnon on the Saturday, which was very common in that era. Yeah, well, Matt Larry Olsen was suspended and he didn't come back till the day of the Melbourne Cup, from memory. Mm. I have to ask Larry that, but I think that's how it worked out. But mm. He's a great mate of mine, Pat Highland, and I got Pat to take him out in the McKinnon. Yeah. And I'll never forget it, when he come in, he said, I hope that Larry Olsen slips over in the shower. He said, I'll ride him for your Jersey and win. <laughs> did, he, did he really? <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, I'll never yeah. forget that. Goodness me. Yeah. How right and he was. Joking. He was joking, but he... Yeah. So I didn't ask him whether it was a good run or not. Yeah. <laughs> He'd said enough. Yeah. Yeah. Les, all you needed was a gun ride from Larry Olsen, and you got one. Oh, great jockey, Larry Olsen. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. He's a cool it's customer fortunate. too, isn't he? Under pressure. He's hard to ruffle. Give you a heart attack when you train me. He's just stable jockey, just sitting there nursing him. You say, yeah. Jesus, when's this bloke going to make a move? But yeah. He used to get up on him. No, he's a great rider. Great yeah. bloke with it too. Oh, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I love Larry. The catalogue is out for the 2021 English Classic Yearling Sale. In total, 803 yearlings have been catalogued, 620 in the main book, 183 in the highway session. The sale will run from February the 7th to February the 9th at Riverside and will be preceded by the running of the $2 million English Millennium at Randwick on the Saturday. 108 stallions will be represented at the classic sale, including 22 first season sires. 87% of the yearlings are Bob's eligible, while there are yearlings catalogued eligible for Vobus, QTIS, West Speed, and also the South Australian Breeders and Owners Incentive Scheme. Since 2018, English auctions have produced 53 Group 1 winners. In the last four years, the classic sale has produced the winners of a Melbourne Cup, a Golden Slipper, an Everest, a Blue Diamond, a Randwick Guineas, and a Victoria Derby. Grab your copy of a catalogue bursting with quality. The English Classic Sale 2021. Did the Everest win compare to the thrill of winning the Melbourne Cup? Two different things, I guess. I don't think anything could ever compare to winning the Melbourne Cup, and I couldn't tell you why. Mm. I came home on the Sunday in the plane, me and Mick Dittman. Mick Dittman was sitting with me, mm. and I'll never forget. He said, how do you feel? I said, I don't know, Mick. Mm. He said, oh, it'll take a week to hit you. 
And he was right. It took a week before it really dawned on me. Mm. You're in the race, but one of those races you don't think you're going to win it, you know what I mean? No. Or it's too good to be true, that sort of mentality. Yeah. Yeah, it's a surreal feeling. That's right. One of your all-time favourites was a skinny little thing called Drawn, but he had a V8 motor inside that scrawny little frame. Three Group 1s, Les, Caulfield Guineas, Rose Hill Guineas and an All-Age Stakes, and he ran second in a Cox Plate, didn't he, to Rising Prince? Yeah, good horse. I'll never forget the day he won the Caulfield Guineas. I had the flu and I wasn't going to go to Melbourne. Peggy said, oh, you've got to go down. It's a Group 1 race. So I arrived about two hours before the race and a mate of mine picked me up I think there were 16 runners, and he drew 16, so that's the reason I wasn't keen to go. Mm. And Jim Cassidy rode him, and he came out, and I said, oh, Jesus, Jim, I don't know much about Crawford. What do you think? I'll never forget it. Mm. He said, oh, curl is a cucumber. That's what great jockeys do. He said, I'll just jump out and let the field go and cross over. He said, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I said, well, that sounds good to me. He never went around a horse, John. No, no. And then he Got came, up on the line. yeah, and came to the extreme outside in the straight though, and didn't the little fella hit the line? Yeah, he flew home. Yeah. yeah. Most trainers had loved to win a Doncaster, and you did that in 1985 for Sir Dapper's owner Peter Horwitz with a horse called Row of Waves. Yeah, good horse. Yeah, yeah. He was the best welder horse in Sydney. You know, when the old days when they had the welders, he could carry mm. all sorts of weight and win welders. But that's mm. what he was considered to be. Mm. And I took him to Brisbane, and it rained all the time. And he went, I think I'm going to give him a run there. And Mel Shoemaker rode him Did for he? me in this race. At, and uh, I said, gee, we haven't had much luck with this horse with the weather. He said, why don't you run him in the Coffs Harbour Cup on the way home, and I'll ride him for you. So I run him in the cups, cups are the cup, and Shoemaker rode him, and he won. Mm. But it's one of those stories that where the trip, spending the winter in Brisbane, yeah. he went from a welter horse, and he come back, he won the, forget, it was a wait for age race first up at Rose Hill, and the mm. Doncaster. Yeah. So the he trip away. so well in. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know, that's something improved him. Mm. Hey, Les, that'd be a good trivia question. Did Mel Shoemaker ever ride a winner for Les Bridge? I think that's yeah, been... Well, he won the Crofts Cup. Goodness me, yeah. There was one very special mare for whom you had great affection, Hot Danish, 16 wins from 31 starts, two Group 1s, she won $2.3 million. On a firm track, she had electric acceleration. On a wet track, it was missing. There probably should have been one more Group 1 on her record, Les. Should have been three. Mm. More. Mm. Anyway, can't change that. She ran in a couple of Doncasters, didn't she? Yeah, heavy 10s. Hit the front one Doncaster mm. on a heavy 10 track. Yeah, she just couldn't accelerate in it. No. Yeah. You and the owners were devastated in 2011 when she developed a massive leg infection and the vets tried everything. It just wouldn't respond to treatment 
and she had to be put down. It was a sad day. Yeah, when you never like lose a horse like that. But um, yeah, she was really, I'd say, John, she's a favourite of all the horses I've ever trained. She was my favourite. Yeah. Good natured mare. Ah, she was fantastic. Yeah. Was she? Yeah. You've enjoyed great associations with some very gifted jockeys over the years. We've mentioned a couple already. Back early in your training career, you and Ray Selkrig had an incredible run together. Best jockey I've ever seen out of the barrier. He was always first out of the barrier. Mm. I think Ray would be a sensation today with our style of riding. Mm. Get it right up over there with her. Great judge of pace. Mm. I think he won six derbies, Melbourne Cup. Mm. He's a beautifully balanced rider. Got you on a Doncaster on grey boots. Mm. God, he rode a lot of winners for me. He didn't mm. jump him out. He'd always have him in a good position. Mm. Yeah, he'd, he'd be one of those riders. He'd be the Tommy Berry or he'd be right up there with the best rider today. I guarantee that. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. You thought so much of Jack Thompson that you were still putting him on when he was well into his 50s. 60s. Really? Yeah. Well, he finished yeah. at 62, Les. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was still riding for me then. Mm. I love Jack Thompson, mate. I learned more off Jack Thompson, well, as much off Jack Thompson mm. about racing because he came out of an era of just unbelievable Derby Munro and all the great, mm. all the great riders, Neville for George Moore and Bill Cook. Won the jockeys. Mm. Billy Cook won the jockeys premiership as an apprentice. Yes, he did. Yeah. I think from memory, I could be wrong, he was a qualified accountant. Mm. They called him the professor. That's right. But I learned, I learned a lot. Later in his career, he sort of took to me and we become good friends and right up till the day he died. And yeah. yeah, I love Jackie Thompson. Mark de Montfort was another very good judge, Les, who won a Doncaster for you. He rode the horse we mentioned earlier, Row of Waves. You told me once that uh, he was an outstanding judge of a track galloper. Oh, he was just, he was just really deep, Johnny. Mm. Justin Sheehan uh, was a heavyweight jockey, Les, that you'd use whenever uh, one of your horses had his weight. Very talented rider. He rode Miss Zoe a lot, didn't he? Yeah, I like Justin Sheehan. Bit mm. of a scallywag. Actually... He never realised his full potential. Mm. You know, lovely, cold rider, fearless. Mm. Yeah, he's always heavy. That was his trouble. They have terrible trouble, these heavy jockeys, mate. You had a great association with Craig Carmody, who now trains a small team of his own out of your stabling complex. Yeah, that's right. He's got half a dozen boxes with me. Yeah, good rider, Craig. He trains good too. He's just got to get a few horses and have a bit of luck. He will. Gavin Duffy was a rider you admired and you put him on frequently. Oh, yeah, the old Duff. Every mm. time I go to Brisbane, he's always hanging over the fence to see me. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the best whip riders I've ever seen, Johnny. Mm. Unbelievable. He go no good today. Yeah. No, with the new whip rules, but he, and he no, rode short, Les. He rode shorter yeah, than yeah, any of the others yeah. in his era. 
Yeah, we couldn't bard in Melbourne. He couldn't ride in Melbourne. That's why he didn't ride drawn in the. He won the Rosehill Minis, but he couldn't go to Melbourne because he rode too short. Mm, yeah. That's right. The chief steward would have no part of it. That's right. Mm. And Timmy Clark, Les, you've used him frequently. Got a wonderful temperament on race day, hasn't he, Tim? Yeah, good rider, Tim Clark. Uh, we had a tremendous amount of success together. But he sort of outgrew my stable with this small string mm. and he's moved on riding for Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot now. It's where he should be and I'm just tickled pink to see him doing well. I knew he would because... Timmy's one of those jockeys that'll just keep getting better, and he's a good, good, good bloke with it. And he treats a, a Gosford maiden and a Doncaster in the same way. Yeah, real professional. Yeah, yeah he's just, I've, I've watched him ride, and he's just one of those blokes that's just gradually got better. That's what good jockeys do, John. Mm, keep improving. Yeah. Mm. Les, you went through the lowest point of your life about six years ago when you lost your wonderful wife, Peggy, to cancer and you were supported through a dreadful time by your son, Jason, and daughter, Leslie, and your grandchildren. That's right, John, yeah. She was a great girl, Les. I can remember her vividly uh, in my early days as a broadcaster. You two used to sit outside my broadcasting box at Canterbury at the midweek meetings. We'd often have a chat. Yeah, she used to drive me to all the race meetings and, yeah, that was, uh, you're right about that, that was a low point of my life, yeah. She spoiled you rotten, didn't she? She did. You had a little health scare last year when you contracted appendicitis, which is a pretty rare complaint at 83 years of age. You were pretty crook too. Yeah, I had what they call a black appendix when they go gangrenous. Mm. So it was pretty nasty, and I had to stay in hospital on antibiotics, and it, uh, yeah, knocked me about a bit. But uh, I got back down to Coogee RSL with my mates training, and I'm back 100% again now. <laughs> I'll say. Well, Leslie, you've done an extraordinary job in six decades of horse training, and you've played by the rules all the way. But most importantly, you have the total respect of every section of the racing industry and of the media. And no man alive can do more than that, mate. Congratulations on oh, a wonderful thanks, career. And, and thanks, thank, John. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. <laughs>